0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God again. And uh this is coming to the end of a, another calendar year. For some calendars, anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of calendars out there that different people use. But for most of the people in America and probably most of the people in the world, this is kind of marked as the end of at least one calendar that is well known. And uh the beginning of a new year. So you can ask yourself taking a review of the year. Am I closer to the kingdom? Am I closer to the righteousness of the kingdom? Uh, We have a tendency to think because it is a pervasive doctrine that if you think Jesus was the Christ, that somehow you're saved. Yet in the Bible, it tells us that even the devil knows he was the Christ. And the devil's not saved just because he knows that. I mean, he believes Jesus was Jesus the Christ. But he doesn't do what Jesus says. So he's not saved. So just knowing that or believing that is not enough. You know, and so people talk about accepting Jesus into their hearts as their personal Savior and all these other, I'll have to say, trite sayings because they don't manifest the works that James talks about. And James talks about your works being evidence of your faith. And people think, "Oh well, we don't have to have any works because you know we're we're we've accepted Jesus into our hearts, and he he speaks to us in our heart, and so therefore we know that we are saved because we had this really, really good feeling back in uh April of whatever <laughs> so <laughs> so the the reality is is do you?" Really have the faith. And and, you know. Paul talks about this. Peter talks about this. James talks about this. John talks about They all talk about this idea. Of having faith. And testing. That faith. And this is all new covenant. They, They warn us over and over. And over again. That we need to test. Our faith to see if it's real faith. And of course, Jesus warned us uh, over and over and over again that uh, many will think that they have faith, that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they do not. They do not have faith. And they do not believe in Jesus Christ. And they don't even know Jesus Christ. They think they do. But they don't. And so, you know, I put together a a number of uh, quotes from uh, Peter, Paul, and James, and John. That all talk about testing this faith to see if this faith is real. And we're going to be talking about that, uh, more and more because it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of words from quotes directly from Peter and Paul and James and John, all in the New Testament, all a part of the New Covenant that everybody thinks that they understand and that they have faith yet i i don't hear ministers bringing these direct statements up you know i mean in second peter 1:10-11 wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure make it sure because it may not be sure you're sure but you may, it may not be sure or if ye do these things ye shall never fall for so an entrance sh- shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now people don't want to hear this that their faith may not be sure, that their election may not be sure, their calling may not be sure. They want. Yeah, I do believe. I do believe. I do believe. But it may not be sure. According to Peter, Second Peter two fourteen, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Earlier in the same chapter, verse 3, he says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, feigned words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. He's talking about the people being made merchandise, human resources, where they could be bought and sold because of covetous practices. Now these are people who, he's talking to people, he's warning Christians that you could be Turned into merchandise again, entangled in this yoke of bondage. Even though you think you're saved, you know that was one of the things. What did Christ actually save you from? From sin. Actually, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Where they they talk about you're you're saved from sin. We won't go through all these warnings. I mean, they're there. You go find them and share them with us on the network. Uh, they're all over the place and, and repeated by people like John. John repeats himself and repeats himself. He's saying the same thing several different ways, warning you. This is how you know whether you have faith or not. Peter just said you won't fall if you have real faith. As your modern preacher says, oh, no, you're going to keep sinning. And as a matter of fact, you don't even have to listen to Jesus. I mean, there's actually doctrines out there, extremely popular, very lucrative doctrines. Taught by preachers that say you don't have to listen to Jesus because he was talking to old covenant people. And we're just automatically saved because we're the we and us that Paul and Peter and John and James are talking about. But they, Paul, Peter, John and James said, no, many, same as Jesus, quoting Jesus. Many will think that they are the we and us of the New Testament, and they are not. They're actually workers of iniquity. And how do you know? Because of what they do. Because Christ is not in them. They think Christ is in them, but he's not. So since the beginning of this last year, how close to Christ have you grown? Not in emotions, but in reality, and what you do. How much more like the early church are you than you were at the beginning of last year. Are you more like the early church? And, and now you have to realize that the Rome was on the decline already before Jesus was even born. He was born during the first emperor's reign in Rome. Rome had been around for 500 years before. now, Their first commander-in-chief, the Imperator of Rome, had now taken power and defeated his foes and had changed the nature of the Roman government from what had been a republic to an indirect democracy with a commander-in-chief ruling over the people. He had already violated the posse comitatus and he had brought his troops into Rome and seize control. Now, a lot of people like this idea because he also brought lots of free bread. He brought a, a new social welfare program heavily funded by his ill-gotten gains of conquering other people and eventually would be also including borrowing money and uh, debt which would drive Rome to absolute economic collapse under people like Nero which was just, you know, a few, and we've already talked about this. Those of you who go back and listen to all the audios where we talk about this and what I've been doing the last couple of days in my spare time is going back and listening to the audios from the beginning of 2017 and uh, going in and and I'm going to actually upload some of them again because I notice when some players play our audios, if I haven't filled in, you know, the author and all these things, that doesn't show up. Some players will show you who who is the author, who's the speaker, what's the subject matter, all these things for you. And I haven't always filled those in. I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to fill some of those in and upload them again with that extra information, which will eventually make it easier, evidently. For them to be found when people do searches on iTunes and everything else, if that data is included in the MP3 file. So we're going to make all that available on our audio page. We're also putting, I mentioned certain articles during the radio broadcasts uh, that we've already written and uh, studies that we've already done. And so I'm going to put those links there next to those audios so that when you hear them mentioned, you can easily find them. Now, you could, you could just do a search on any of our websites and you could probably find those articles. And that, that's, that's for the diligent. But a lot of people are kind of slothful. They've got a habit of being slothful. And they don't really pursue the kingdom, try to find out how it works. And so therefore, You know, they're a little lazy and they they don't look things up and they don't read. There's a lot of people on our network who do not even listen to the regular audio broadcasts and uh, they really should because there's a lot of information that's being shared in audios in ways that actually explain things in greater detail than you will find in the written word. When we write things, we give you lots and lots of information, but there's often more information between the lines when you connect the dots. Each of these articles are like dots in this matrix of information. And they're connecting. This is one of the things when I, I studied Christianity and studied the church and studied the Bible and went to seminaries. And uh, I would see all these dots of information in the text. And nobody was connecting them. And therefore they would come to conclusions. They would invent doctrines. And this is all these churches are inventing doctrines that Christ never said. And the, and the church is supposed to be promoting the doctrines of Christ. And we have, like I said, we have churches today that says, oh no, Jesus was talking to Old Testament people. So you don't have to listen to that. We're New Testament people. So we only, so they just throw out the gospels. They literally are throwing out the gospels. And then they're only going to listen to Peter, Paul, and and maybe a little of James and John. But then they take everything out of context. And, And essential items that Paul says, you know, like his list of those who will not inherit the kingdom, who have no inheritance in the kingdom. He has a list of things to look for that will not inherit the kingdom. And people fit into that list, but they think they're saved because their preacher said, if you just think this thought, you can save yourself and God can't, God will have to take you into heaven when you die. Meanwhile, they become merchandise. They become, you know, human resources for somebody else and their children and their children's children are born in debt and become nothing more than merchandise. But they want to believe they're saved. Oh boy, if you bring this up, oh, there's some sort of judgment involved. But I got to tell you, you're on the wrong path. So now you've had a year since uh, we began. You know, we have all our audios up from the past that we've done on different shows and and on different topics. You know, and we've we you know we have people who come on the network. And uh, if I just look at uh, the first of 2017 and and we look at what they uh, we we had kind of gone over i see the very first one we entitled vision and it's uh, Jesus and Moses were in agreement but the pharisees who brought what they were who thought that they were in agreement with Moses were clearly not in agreement with Jesus why and and we We quote Phylos of Alexandria, and we have a now on that audio page, audio 2017 page, have a link to uh, Phylos of Alexandria so you can read about who he is and uh, some of the things that he wrote, allegory and metaphor, and the allegories of uh, the sacred laws, which are articles that you can go and read. Some of them are ancient. Uh, then we have some, because we mention these things, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life and the difference. We have articles on the, those trees and the, the the dendritic tree of your mind, which is the tree of knowledge. It's where you decide for yourself what is good and evil. You've, you've not only done that. We've all done that. Where we tried to figure out the truth with our own flesh and blood minds. And Christ says, no, that's not how I'm going to reveal it to you, through your flesh and blood mind. I'm going to write upon your mind and heart, but it's going to be my hand writing upon your heart and mind through the Holy Spirit. But see, you've got a lot of other people writing on your heart and your mind. All these false preachers that have crept in to teach you foolish doctrines. And they've led you astray. So far astray that you can't even see the, the ways of righteousness. You can't tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit. Which way back they told you that he could appear. The unholy spirit can appear as an angel of light. You know, and in Psalm sixty-nine twenty-two they talk about your table becoming a snare. That that that. In in Proverbs they talk about sitting and eating with a ruler because he serves you deceitful meats. Why? They go on to talk about being trapped in a net. Of your own making. you The net is spread before the bird. And he's still trapped in it. And, and Paul in the New Covenant Testament. Quotes David. And said David said that their table. Be made a snare and a trap. And a stumbling block. And a recompense unto them. So. Why is Paul quoting David? Who said that. Your your table, would, would supposed to be for your welfare, would, would actually become a trap. Because that's what FDR was doing. He was setting the table of the state with forced offerings. Just like, you know, the president of Rome at the time of Augustus, who happened to be Augustus many years. He was elected regularly as the president of Rome. And he set the table of Rome. Sometimes when he was out fighting foreign wars and being the policeman of the world, he somebody else took his position, but it was usually one of his cronies who would be controlling the table of Rome. That made the people a snare and brought the people back into subjection and away from the Republic where they were free from these public. Why? Because they ate at the table of men who exercised authority. Christ forbid that. And Paul preached against that. And James preached against that. And John certainly preached against that. But your modern preachers that you're giving millions and millions of dollars to, they don't preach that. They don't even tell you how it works. We're telling you how it works. In these ideas, we go through it step by step and show you how it worked. How Nimrod gathered his people. And how Saul gathered his people. But also how Abraham and Moses and Jesus Christ was gathering people. Getting them to sit down in tens and fifties before they would receive the miracle bread of his grace. You you don't understand how these things work and nobody's teaching you. But we go through all these different audios now and we haven't gotten very far. I've, I don't think I've gotten up to February. Oh, just about. I got up to February. But uh, some of the titles is His plan. What is it? How do you know it? How do you recognize what is His plan? Because everybody's got a plan out there. All these churches have a plan yeah, and and a, and a purpose and a doctrine. It's not the doctrine of Christ, but it's a doctrine. It's a good feel-good doctrine. You know, is the kingdom spiritual or is it physical? Was it for the living or was it for the dead? Is it only for after you die, then you go to the kingdom? What was the early church doing that you're not doing? Because they knew the gospel. They knew the new covenant. And they did certain things. And the apostles were helping them do those things. But the modern church is not doing them. It's not just my opinion. There's others, too. So I also have a number of shows on abandonment. The spiritual replication of evil occurs in the unforgiving heart of the victim of injustice. So what does that mean? If you're a victim of injustice, but you do not forgive, then the replication of evil will be in you. You will become like that which you hate. We've done a number of shows showing the examples of this in history and in individual lives. This is why Christ says it's so important to forgive. If you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. There won't be any grace. But the modern church, oh, no, you just believe grace will come. But you don't believe Jesus because he said, if you do not forgive, neither will my father forgive you. Do you believe Jesus? Well, then you better believe what Jesus said. So forgiveness is really, really, really important. Most of your ailments are because of unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness creates conflict. Forgiveness is the end of conflict. And if you don't deal with those psychological, emotional, and spiritual conflicts in your own heart, mind, and soul, it will manifest itself in your body. So, if the spiritual replication of evil comes from lack of forgiveness, then spiritual replication of righteousness occurs in the forgiving heart of Christ dwelling in you by grace. But Christ will not dwell in an uncharitable heart. See, if you're really forgiving, being a charitable heart is easy. But just giving things away giving money or time or energy away is not charity. It has to be the charity of Christ. Who came to serve but also to strengthen the poor. The poor in spirit. So yeah, it's a spiritual kingdom. And there is a plan. And there is a path. And there is a purpose to the process. And if you don't follow those, that path, you will be led down paths to death and destruction, spiritually and even physically. So you have to turn around and find that path. And that's why we we did those first programs up into January, into February. And then we addressed a lot of other things, but we'll talk about that more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. back to keys of the kingdom so are you closer to the kingdom are you closer to the righteousness that the early church was manifesting there's a professor michael hudson who who's quoted as saying the christianity we know today is not the christianity of jesus really indeed the judaism that we know today is not the judaism of Jesus either. Well actually. The Judaism that Jesus. Uh, condemned. Is very much like the Judaism today. But you know. I mean there's a wide variety of people out there. Practicing and, and, and considering themselves Jews. So you have to. Take this on a case by case basis. But the reality is. There are probably some. Jewish groups. That are closer to Christ. Than <laughs> Some. Uh, Christian groups, by far. And many of the Christian groups today have more in common with the Pharisees than they do with the early Christian church. And, of course, this is what this professor, Michael Hudson, is talking about. Most religious leaders, he goes on to say, that Christianity is all about sin, not death. But actually, the word for sin and debt is the same in almost every language. So, when Christ died for our sins, did he die for our debt? And what was that debt? I mean, there's a spiritual debt to God. I mean, he always was. I mean, he gave us life. Unless, of course, you don't want to believe in God at all. And then, I guess, there's a spiritual debt to some amoeba somewhere in a primordial sea, <laughs> who began to become two amoebas and uh, eventually formed a living creature, a multi-cell creature. But uh, if you believe that there's a God, then you owe that God a debt. God the Father, they call him, the Father of us all. We see this cause and effect universe all around us that this exists because this happened, and this exists exists because this happened, you know, you take it back to God, or you take it back to the Big Bang. But if you take it back, you know, the Big Bang requires a great deal of faith, Uh, more faith than believing in a God, in a spiritual God. Because the Big Bang, you have to not only believe that out of nothing a bang occurred... (laughs) This He doesn't just say who, what exploded. It doesn't say who lit the fuse. And it doesn't say why there is life today. It's just random, a random chain of events eventually created the complex life forms that we see today all over the face of the earth. It actually even found microbes on... Uh, Spacecraft now, Uh, because they actually supposed to go up and uh, collect some of these spacecraft and go there and do certain work on them and stuff like this. And uh, they found bacteria growing on the spacecraft. And they thought, well, this, this did this come in space? Is there bacteria, some sort of microbe growing in space, traveling in space, and clung to the spaceships? Well, no, they. They actually think that it's just picked up contamination from here and taken it somewhere else, which is interesting if we've been on the moon, uh, which many people say we have, and there are guys walking around there, and we left these spaceships and flags and everything else sitting there on the surface. Did they bring microorganisms that are now surviving deep down into the soil (laughs) of the moon? And it's going to change the nature of the moon? Who knows? But uh, the reality is we have this huge complex system of life here on this planet and finding virtually nothing anywhere else. So why, why such complexity? Well, according to the Big Bang, it's just a coincidence. And millions and millions, you know, just all of a sudden life started and all of a sudden, you know, there was one-celled animals and then multi-celled animals and, and then they created fish and then the fish crawled out on the ground and and eventually we became, so th- that doesn't take faith <laughs> that this all just happened, you know, exactly how it happened, uh, I wasn't there. I have the the Bible reports, but it really isn't very detailed in the Bible reports. And we know the Bible is full of metaphors and allegories. Because the Bible tells us that there are allegories. Talking back, going back to Genesis, it refers to it as an allegory. In the Bible, they use the word allegory. So, and we know the Hebrew language is full of metaphors. So, so, what exactly all happened there? I can't tell you. But here I got this Professor Michael Hudson telling you that modern Christianity is not the same as Christianity at the time of Christ. Does modern Christianity need repentance to return? So, anyway, he talks, equates this sin and debt. And he says that, uh and, and we know that Israel went into bondage in Egypt because of debt. They they ran out of money, they ran out of stuff to trade, and they this famine was still going on, so they received benefits from Pharaoh, but they were now gonna owe Pharaoh. What were they gonna owe Pharaoh? They're gonna owe Pharaoh twenty percent of their labor every year. And if you understand Egyptian history and how things work, they were still in bondage. So they call it the bondage of Egypt. Even the word Egypt itself, it means bondage. The bondage of Egypt was about debt. Now, through the miracles of God, Moses actually owned the people of Israel. He actually owned all of Egypt. He was the heir to the throne. That's what They called him Moses not because he was Tutan Moses the the third, or to Moses the second, he was, they call him Moses because he was drawn from the water. Now he was going to, he says, let my people go. And he wasn't just talking Israelites because we know uh all kinds of Egyptians went with him. But he said, let my people go because he owned the people. He was the rightful heir, but he didn't want that kingdom. Isn't that what Abraham did? Abraham departed with many souls. Now, supposedly, according to ancient documentation, Abraham went back and then he went out. He was this Hebrew wanderer and he went back to back out and became this wanderer again. And eventually he left with many souls. They were no longer in this subject city state of or, or, or Haran. Actually, he left Haran with many souls. When he left Ur, they went and started a a new city-state called Haran. They were in Ur, then they went and started Haran, but Abraham eventually left Haran, too, with those many souls who went out and did whatever Abraham was doing. He was setting up these altars. And we explain that in article after article. We show you the Hebrew. We show you these words. You can figure it out for yourself. We're giving you this information. Why? Because we, we want you to believe us? No, we want you to believe what God actually said. But false teachers have come in, twisted these words, so that you don't understand what the Old Testament said. The same as the Pharisees did not understand the Old Testament. They thought they knew Moses, but did not know Moses. We're not doing what Moses said. Jesus and Moses were in agreement. Jesus was actually telling you what Moses really meant. Jeremiah did the same thing. Isaiah did the same thing. Peter, Paul, and James and John all did the same thing. But you don't know because of these false teachers, false doctrines. But the evidence is there. And this is what we show you. We give you the books for free. You can download them all online and, okay, you find something wrong in there, something incorrect, show us. That's how come there's so many books available, so many articles available. It's because guys tried to come and show us where we were wrong. And we showed them, no, you're wrong. You know, Romans 13. Very clear that the modern teachers are teaching Romans 13 incorrectly. And we, we we show them the, the way it should be actually translated. And they say, oh, well, no, well, you have to look at Koine Greek. We show them. This is what it meant in Koine Greek. Before Christ, at the time of Christ, at the time of Paul, after Paul, it still meant the same thing. And even still to this day, the word there they chant, translate into government power actually means the right to choose. Who gave you the right to choose? God. How do you lose the right to choose? Sit at the table of men who exercise authority and eat their benefits. And then you will lose the right to choose. They serve deceitful meats. They spread a net before the bird and you're captured in it because their table is a snare. (laughs) It's over and over and over again in the Bible. You're eating of the altars of idols constructed by the hand of men that forces the contributions of the people like Augustus Caesar and FDR and Lyndon Baines Johnson. <laughs> you have abandoned the ways of Christ. You have abandoned the ways of righteousness for the ways of force and fear and violence. and you wonder. Well, if we elect this president, he will make us great again. If we elect that president, he will make us great again. No, he will not. You want to become great again, you have to repent. Have you repented? Are you becoming the government of God? The benefactors who do not exercise authority one over the other when you actually set yourself on that path and walk that path and generously strive on that path, spiritual things start changing and taking place in your life. So this uh, professor goes on to say, to understand the crucifixion of Jesus is to understand it was his punishment for his economic views from the point of view of those people who were, you know, crucifying him. That that he had certain economic views. And, and we see that manifested in going in and talking uh, to the people in the temple. He gave commands that vessels were not to be carried from here to there in the temple. What did that mean? Couldn't move funds around? Were 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 money in those vessels? We know there was a treasury there, and they use several words that are translated in treasury, sometimes corbin, and sometimes uh, this guess uh, the this royal treasury. And uh, what did, what does that mean? Because he was condemning the Pharisees for their corbin, which is translated treasury. And it really shouldn't be translated treasury. It really doesn't mean treasury. But there was a treasury involved with Corban. Because Corban actually means sacrifice. Well, when you sacrifice money to this temple, the money went into a treasury. So you could say, refer to the treasury. That treasury, that treasure chest full of coins... As your sacrifice, but they decided, instead of saying, is it right that we put this in the sacrifice no they said no we put it in the is it right that we put it into the treasury well the word there was Corbin when they said the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect they were saying the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. Where is your Corbin today? is your Corbin still in your pocket? Is your sacrifice still in your pocket? You know, I going back over some of the uh, recordings I, I was hearing, you know, I, I'm remembering, I'm going back. I would encourage everybody to go back and just start working their way through those recordings during the week and listening to those recordings. And start putting together and we put links there so that if, if we say something you, you don't get or doesn't quite fit into what your personal doctrine is today, you can go read these articles, and we're going to try to get audios on every one of those pages, so you can listen to them too. And you can you can download them all into PDF format. I'm mean not PDF, but into uh, MP3 formats, and uh, and listen to them with your iPods and your what have you. We're trying to make this message available to you. Now, are you trying to get this message, which is Christ's message, out to others? Are you sharing these on your media outlets and on, and, and going and reading people's articles and saying, you know what you ought to listen to? You ought to listen to this or you ought to read this article. Do you know how to do that? Do you know where all the pages are? Are you taking your spare time to spread the gospel of the kingdom and how it works? What was, the, what was Christ's strategy? Now he went in because he was king. In Judea, he went in and cast out the money changers because he could fire them. He had that right since the days of David. Most people don't understand that. Making the string whip. Why did he make a string whip? And how did a string whip drive these guys out? And what did it mean to tip over the tables? We explain all this. He had that power since the days of Samuel and David. David. Because they changed the nature of the government under Saul, and so David had the power to appoint or unappoint the porters of the temple, which were the money changers. Why money changers? Yeah, we talked about this: how people who think they're messianic Jews and using the special calendar and all this stuff—they are not. They—they they, they may be messianic. Pharisees, <laughs> they're, not, they're not the Jews that believed in Christ. You remember, everybody who became a Christian on Pentecost was a Messianic Jew. <laughs> because and, and so anybody who tells you the Jews didn't accept Christ, knock them upside the head with a dope slap. <laughs> because all the apostles were Jews. The 120 in the upper room were Jews. Almost everybody who was baptized on Pentecost, or at least the vast majority of them, were Jews. And they were all accepting Jesus Christ. And there were so many of them. And it tells you this right in the New Testament. There were so many Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Christ, as the Anointed, as the Messiah, as the King, that people like uh, Ananias and uh, his sons kept their mouths shut. Did not dare attack these apostles who are now working daily in the temple. What was in the temple? The the, the treasury, the royal treasury, what the, the treasury of Corbin. All those vessels full of coin, they're in there, and they're working in the temple. How are they doing this? Well, you have to understand how the temple has all worked at that time, which we try to show you in, in our free books and articles and audios. We go through it and explain how this works. It Either the government of God works by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, or it's not the government of God. It's some other government created by the hands of men that works through force, fear, violence, control, manipulation, men exercising authority one over the other, all forbidden by Christ. You are not to be that way, he says. But the modern Christian is that way. So what's the deal? So Christ was a threat to the creditors in our article and audios on the money changers. You know, we say... Why did they have to crucify Christ? Why did they want him crucified before Pentecost? Because he had just fired the money changers. How do you get new porters of the temple? Well, you do it through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The network elects them. It wasn't a popular vote. It was kind of like the electoral college. (laughs) Except for the electoral college was the Levites. You picked a Levite. He picked, along with nine other Levites, picked another Levite. That's how they did it. They're creating a government. Now, when they were picking these Levite ministers, were they picking somebody who was to give them a sermon every Sabbath for an hour and a half on the what is said in the Torah? You can read the Torah. You can study it. The Holy Spirit can enter into you and show you what these things mean. What the New Testament, the Old Testament, all these things mean. We share a great deal of information with you on the meaning of words. We show you hundreds and hundreds, thousands, thousands of footnotes showing you. I'm not making this up. Exosia means the right to choose. So when Paul says, remain subject to the higher right to choose... Because that's your liberty given to you by God, how to choose good and evil. Hopefully, you're eating of the tree of life. Hopefully, you're listening to the Holy Spirit. But you have the right to choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and make up your own answers or listen to God. You have the right to choose. Now, if you choose to decide with your own knowledge, your own flesh and blood knowledge, You will become subject to deceivers. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, the revelations of God, writing upon, and let Him write upon your heart and your mind, it's going to take a humble person. Nothing expands the humility of an individual more than forgiveness and charity. If you want to be a humble individual, you have to forgive. Because the only reason you don't forgive is you're too proud to forgive. You want to play God. You want to be judge. But if you can forgive, that brings you closer to the humility necessary to allow God into your heart, to write upon your heart and your mind. So now you have the choice to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness or seek the kingdoms of the world and their unrighteousness. Unfortunately, most Christians are workers of iniquity. Most people calling themselves Christians. Most of those people say they believe in Jesus Christ. So, what's your task? you got to love one another. you got to take care of one another. You have to seek others who are... E- what, what did Jesus say? The whole parable on going out to prepare people for the wedding feast. Go out and invite all these people in. So all Christians are invited to His Holy Church to be a part of the festival and the feast of our Lord and sit down at His table. His table is set by faith, open charity and the perfect law of liberty. It's not set by force, fear, and violence. It's a different table than the world offers you. It's a different altar than the world offers you. Now, do you want to sit at that table? Well, go out and find others who want to sit at that table. That's what your job is. Go out and find those. We're giving you the means by which to do that. But you have to strive daily to get them. But Jesus was extremely disappointed. He tells us about this, that the ones that should show up, don't show up. And they they don't see any need to show up because their system is still working, sort of. It's working at bringing them into greater and greater condemnation, greater and greater debt, greater and greater sin. But that check's still rolling in. So how much do you want to devote towards finding those other people, seeking those other people? Now, people ask me, you know, like they, they want this and that and the other thing fact is, is I can't do it all for you. We've done a lot. We've laid out a lot. All the other ministers who are helping with this is great. And the people who are contributing to this effort, that's great. We could do a lot more if everybody was contributing. And And going out, I mean, how you contribute, that's up to you. But you have to go out and beat the brush. He eventually says, look in the hedges. Look everywhere to bring people to the festival. But it wasn't over yet. There was still another challenge. And we'll talk about that when we come back. back to the keys of the kingdom so we're talking about uh jesus inviting people to come to this feast in, in his parable and uh everybody's got a reason why they can't come he says pray have uh, thee have me excused i can't come and another said i have bought a f- five yoke of oxen and i go to prove them I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And on and on. Why all these people would not come. They got, I got my church. You know, I, I got, I already feel good. I don't, I don't need to come to this fe- feast that is laid out before them for this, this wedding feast. The, the servant supper, time to say to them, that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. If you continually make excuses why you don't have to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, come together and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which all Christians, almost all Christians are doing on a regular basis. They're making excuses why they don't have to set the table of the Lord or set at the table of the Lord. They can set at the table of idols. And have those idols take care of their parents and educate their children through forced contributions. They have no king but Caesar. They play lip service to Christ. And they got all excuses why they don't need to come. And so in verse 21, this is in in Luke 14, in verse 21, it says, So that the servants came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. And that's what we got. <laughs> We're dealing with lots of people who are blind and and are poor, and uh, their lives have been messed up through one thing or another, maybe sometimes through sloth, maybe sometimes through drugs, maybe sometimes through um, envy or or, or or injustices to them, like we talked about earlier, injustices they couldn't forgive. I mean, and that, those unforgiveness, you know, go back to a, a woman whose mother died when she was two years old and she had never forgiven her mother for dying. Of course, this is a two-year-old. She didn't really hate her mother, but she noticed her mother was there and her mother was gone. And she had the spirit of abandonment, which is like about the third or fourth uh week into 2017. We have a whole set of recordings on abandonment. And we have an article that now is linked to where you can go to and read this, this spirit of abandonment. Which if you do not forgive, you cannot get back to Christ. You cannot receive Christ writing upon your heart and your mind until you forgive that spirit of abandonment. You resented the fact that you felt abandoned. But by doing that, you abandoned Christ. Because you have to forgive to get back. This is the key thing Christ is telling you. You can make all kinds of excuses, Or go into denial. Or be under a strong delusion. But you have to forgive that. So anyway, we have a whole set of recordings on that. And an article on abandonment. And that spirit of abandonment. And how you have to come to peace with that. And we tell you how you can sit and be still. And find out how much of that is still lurking in you. And and it goes on in verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done. As thou hast commanded, and yet there is room, he went out, we got the poor, we got the maimed and by the way, I also want to tell you that some who have screwed up things in their lives have now turned their lives around. It doesn't mean that there aren't more things that they can't learn there are the the they and this is where we're going with this. We're going to tell you why that's important that you still have to peel off that which should not come to the wedding feast and put on that which needs to come to the wedding feast. Because he's just inviting. Are the poor in for good? Are the maimed in for good? Are the halted in for good? Are the blind in for good? Do they all get to stay at the wedding feast? No. But anyway, now he sends the men, the, the uh, servants out again. And this is where you're at. You're supposed to be helping us go out there and bring in the blind and the poor. Bring them to what? Are you helping us set the table? Ah, no, some of you are not. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Now you have no idea what that means, compel them to come to the feast. That's going to happen. You know, right now, you can still go and eat at the table of idols. But there will come a time when there ain't going to be nothing on the idols' table. (laughs) And by necessity, you will be compelled. But you're still not in, necessarily. So what is it? I'm, I'm giving you a little insight for those who can listen to the Spirit. Be still their minds and find out what's gonna come about. He says go out into the highways. So, so what is that word go out? Uh, it is commonly translated go out, but it also is translated come and depart and go forth and come out and all these things to go or to come forth to, to, to go into action and into the highways. He says, or at least that's the way it's translated. It actually says, it doesn't say the word highway. Although that word is sometimes translated highway, most of the time it's just translated into way, hodos. And you know what it has actually defined as? This way? You know, the major definition of the word that they translate into highway here is properly. A course of conduct go out into a course of conduct, go out properly, and then it says, go out into the highways and hedges for your reading because they they put the word in their hedge, which is is translated hedge and it does mean hedge, but why hedge what what did a hedge mean back then? It actually means a hedge or a fence. That which separates prevents two from coming together. So go out and properly break down the fences that keeps people from coming together. this is this is what they're telling you and and the word compelled there it's almost as often translated constrained. So we're supposed to properly break down the fences that keep you from coming together constrain you from coming together. And, and, but there will be a necessity for you to come together. Because the world will be collapsing. The systems of the world will be collapsing. And now you, you, you're you going to have to come together. And, and you're going to have to come and eat at the table of the Lord because it's the only table in town. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? So then are you in? Because you come, that you wait till the last minute, you make all these excuses, and then you think you're in? You think you've made it? That so that the house may be filled? Standing room only? Well, we're going to have to have a little room for laying down, because you're going to be stuck there for a while. Because <laughs> there is no tables coming back at that point. So he says, For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he and he turned and said unto them. So now he's, this is Jesus still talking to the people, telling them that those who should have come, and he's probably talking about a lot of Pharisees at that time and some Sadducees that were opposing Christ. He was explaining how the kingdom worked. But they weren't going to follow him. They weren't going that because they had their own deal going on. You know, their own preachers, their own, you know, treasury, their own welfare system going on. They're not going to follow Christ. They were fascinated with the miracles, they were fascinated fascinated with the the things that were going on around Christ, but they weren't not going to follow Christ. They were not going to eat his flesh, and drink his blood. They had their own set table set. It was set with force, fear, and violence. But that's okay. Because they had all these false interpretations by their preachers who were justifying them in their sin. They were creating more and more debt, bringing more and more people into cursing their children with this debt. So anyway, you get down to... uh The multitude following in verse 26, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now he's talking about disciples. He's not talking about those who come and eat at the table. Whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's giving you you know, his requirements for his disciples. And there's a lot to all that. But eventually we get down to the guy who's not wearing the wedding garments. He, he's come to this festival, this feast, but he doesn't have the wedding garments that he's supposed to have in order to be at this feast. Now, he's brought in all these different people, but he finds somebody in there who doesn't have the wedding garment. And he talks about, you know, like the, this word garment shows up all over the time the place. There were people are actually throwing their garments down so that Jesus could come in to Jerusalem and uh, how all that kind of operated and what that meant. They even talks about sending his ministers out without a garment, without a, a purse, etc., without script. And then later on he says they can go out with these things, these coverings. So there's a lot to all this, but uh, this idea of a wedding garment that you need to have on, and if you don't have that wedding garment on, God... You know, the, the, the person at the wedding feast gets you, uh, bound up and thrown out into the utter darkness. Now you already showed up at the feast. You showed up a little late, but you showed up at the feast. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on. A wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So what, what is this wedding garment? How do you get it on? How, where do you get one? You know, it's, it's supplied by your host. Did you know that? In tradition. The wedding garment might be supplied by the host. To put on. But you didn't put on the wedding garment. You know. It's like you're going to be the best man at a wedding. And uh, and uh there's going to be the groomsmen. They're all coming. These groomsmen are supposedly coming. To the wedding. And groomsmen in those days. They, they were a part of having to set up the wedding. And make sure everything went off well. The that That was a position the same way with the the maids of honor they had a certain responsibility to make it all come about, and so uh they all were supposed to wear the same thing and so we know who they are these are the these guys are gonna be the ushers and all the stuff but uh this guy didn't he didn't come and put on the wedding garments. Now, remember, these are metaphors and allegories. So what what the heck are they talking about here? Then said the king to the servant, bind him, bind his hands and foot and take him away and cast them out into the darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So just because you finally get into the wedding feast, you better know how to put it on the wedding garment. You better know what that wedding garment is, and you better be make sure it fits on your person. <laughs> that's that's very important because that little story that was ruthless. The, the, this guy's not just said, "Oh, sorry, you're going to have to ask you to leave." No, he's going to be bound hand and foot and thrown out into the utter darkness. Now, again, these are metaphors but that does not sound inviting in the in the least so are you are you closer to the wedding feast are you going out in the hedges breaking down those divides what are those divides denominationalism uh false doctrines uh false teachings Throwing Christ out and the gospel out so that you can just have bits and pieces of the New Testament and imagine that you're saved while you're still eating at the table of men who exercise authority one over the other. This is not an easy gospel. But the gospel, you have to pick up your burden. You have to pick up your cross. Whatever it is. Now, the ministers, they're under, you know, the the disciples. The student ministers are under heavier Burdens, but God will give them the strength to carry them. But even a congregant, the, the early church was congregant driven. The congregant has a huge, every congregant has a huge responsibility to practice pure religion. The ministers are the servants of that system. But without the elders doing their part, the heads of those families doing their part, There will be nothing at the table. But there will be something at the table. uh, Because God will bring his blessings. But first. Before you can get your loaves and fishes. Your share of the loaves and fishes that God will provide. You must sit down. In your tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. You must start going back. To the ways of God. To this table of righteousness instead of the table of unrighteousness. Now, you can do that right now. You don't need to get rid of the Federal Reserve. You don't need to come out of the system. You don't need to imagine that somehow or other you're more righteous because you got the right calendar or or that you read Hebrew. You need to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So anyway, this uh, Professor Hudson, he said a lot of other things. When you have A massive build-up of debt that can't be paid. Either you wipe out the debt and start over like Germany did in 1947. When the Allies forgave all its debt except for minimum balance. Or you let the creditors foreclose as Obama did in America after the 2008 crisis. And the ten million American families lost their homes to foreclosure. Now, this is this professor, and he's he's talking about you know religious scholar Jesus died for our debt, not our sins. This is what they were doing. They were canceling debt now, if you go back to ancient times of Nimrod and everything else in Babylon and all this kind of stuff that this has been even Rome, how Rome Got its more and, power, more and more power. How Egypt, the people were in debt. They had a welfare system, but they were in debt. This makes you merchandise. This makes you a human resource. And so there is a way to forgive that debt. Now, we we talk about it in the New Test, Old Testament Jubilee the and, and about forgiving. He says, uh, Hudson goes on to say, if you leave the wealth in place, then it's going to stifle society with debt deflation. Uh, Josiah Stamp, we we mention him in the book, One of the Richest Men in the World. He talks about how the fortunes of the earth are made by the creation of debt and the usury. That's why there's these rules against usury. But, but Christ even says at one time, He even says you'd be better off charging usury (laughs) than not to forgive. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll deal with that later. Hudson goes on to say today's world believes in the sanctity of debt, but the, from Sumer and Babylon through the Bible, it was debt cancellation that were sacred. Over the last 100 years, the Catholic Church has been saying it's noble to be poor. But Jesus never said it was good to be poor. Whether he said it was that rich people are greedy and corrupt. But I don't agree with Hudson. I don't believe all rich people are greedy and corrupt. But a greedy person has to learn to set down his excesses in favor of of righteousness. And sometimes that's harder because with wealth comes great temptation. Same as power. Saul. Saul had power and with that power came great temptation. David had power. With that power came great temptation. With David, there was repentance. So rich can get into the kingdom of heaven. It's not easy, but they can get into the kingdom of heaven and have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Poor can lose their inheritance in the kingdom of heaven if they are not forgiving and charitable. Now, obviously, the, the rich man, his charity should stack up higher than the poor. But it is, you know, and Jesus points this out with this whole parable about the widow's might. She gave all she had. It's just she had greater grace. You know, and so the wealthy man gives half, but if he wants to be a disciple, he may have to even be more. But the reality is, is this giving is very important. It's, it's, and to give righteously, you have to forgive and leave judgment to God. And then Christ can come in and show you where to give and where not to give. Who to bind up and cast out <laughs> and who to bring in. Uh, so anyway, there is, we point out that Christ was rich. He wasn't poor. Born in a poor, you know, and poor people didn't even have a manger to put the baby. <laughs> they wrapped him up in swaddling clothes if they had swaddling clothes, but they uh, they were too poor to own a manger. Just to, which actually the word there is just a box. He actually had a wooden cradle of some sort, but. Jesus and and Joseph's family and Mary's family and her uncle and everybody, they were rich. Jesus, it says in the Bible that Jesus was rich, but he made himself poor. They can try to beat around the bush, but the reality is Jesus was rich and he did make himself poor in order to be both high priest and king of a kingdom. But not to exercise authority one over the other, but to teach you how to live by faith, hope, and charity. So that when he was given loaves and fishes, when they were the only ones left to be given, he gave them away. He didn't eat and then give them away. He gave them away. And he showed charity. And with that, people learn charity. And with that charity comes a full table with enough left over. And that is part of the garment of the wedding feast, but to make a garment, you have to have a warp and a weft. that's how you weave cloth. I've weaved cloth where you yeah you know, i've made i've made it from scratch. <laughs> I raised the sheep, I sheared the sheep, I spun the wool, I wove the wool with the warp and weft until I had cloth and the first big piece I made was uh, the pattern of the star of David which you don't actually see the star of David but it's called that the pattern is but uh, it's it's a pattern woven with on a four harness loom which I also made in the process of making these things physically I also understand the principles that without the warp and weft you do not have the cloth there is another way to make it uh, cloth without warp and weft. And it's called felt, and I, I won't describe the whole process, but you want to learn to weave because you know how you make felt <laughs> you take wool you you tease it, you ratchet it so it's all going different directions, and then you press it between two claws, like canvas, then you put boiling hot water and you beat the tar out of it. so if you want to come together that way, we can do that too. <laughs> but better to learn warping and wefting. And that means coming together. And that's what the hedges are. It, that That is all about is removing those things that keep you from coming together. What is the one thing that keeps you from coming together more than anything else? Forgiveness. Vanity. And that's why it's hard to forgive is you're so full of vanity. You can't forgive. And so you find reasons why you have to be separate yourself out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get near the light. Don't go near the light because you'll see yourself if you go near the light. And you don't want to see yourself. So you find reasons to leave the light, to separate yourself. No, there's a reason to come together because it's in coming together. This is what that whole parable is about coming together to sit at the table of the Lord and to set the table of the Lord, which is set by faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. If you're not willing to do that, then you will fall prey to those people who do not forgive debt, but bring you farther and farther into debt and take away the life savings of millions upon millions upon millions of people and even their life themselves. What you see carried out in the news is going to be carried out in a big way worldwide. Are you ready? Are you ready to put on those garments? Well, come on back and we'll tell you more about that. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I was just kind of using this Hudson article about debt and about the Bible. And, of course, the Bible warns us about debt over and over again. I mean, the whole, the command, where, where do you find in the Ten Commandments anything about debt? Well, the Sabbath. Work first, then take your day of rest. You don't take your day of rest and then have to go and pay it off. You know, you take that trip to Acapulco on um, borrowed money, and then when you get back, you have to work most of the year to pay off what you owe because <laughs> you took your rest and you hadn't paid for it yet. God is a working God, and the reality is, a lot of people are slothful. They they don't work a whole day it's from sunup to sundown. Yesterday, I worked from way before sunup to way after sundown. <laughs> I actually fasted the whole day too i didn't I didn't eat anything uh yesterday until late in the evening, but I got a lot of work done uh but when nothing like working all day while fasting to promote prayer <laughs> it it focuses you you know you are there for a reason <laughs> you're not just there because you didn't have anything else to do. You you were busy. And this same thing when I go out on the desert with the sheep. The same thing when I weave cloth and uh, spin yarn and all these things is that this is whatever you do, you do it diligently. So are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness diligently? Are you coming together? You know, all our congregations are spread out. Most of our congregations, they don't live on the same block. So they have to call one another to meet every week. They should call one another every week to get to know one another. They don't say, well, I don't want to call because, you know, uh, like all those excuses we saw earlier in Matthew, where they were making excuses left and right. Oh, I can't come now. you know, I uh, got to go do this. I got to go do that. And Jesus is telling you about this because he knows you're going to be making excuses. Why you can't come together. Because of these hedges that bar you. Because of these... First it was excuses. And then now it's hedges. What are those hedges? Doctrines. We've, We've actually seen ministers who create a controversy. Just so they can have an excuse to leave. Why do they really want to leave? They don't want to look at that. They don't want to look at why they want to leave. So they make up a controversy... So they will have an excuse to leave. What's really going on there? You have to kind of slow down what's happening in time and space so that you can see clearly what's actually happening. Even though I can see what's happening and foretold the things that were going to happen, they still can't see it. And they can't see it even after they've left because they still have scales on their eyes. So how do you get those scales off? You cannot, you know, humility is essential to getting those scales off. Pride is what's got them glued on. You've got to become humble, and nothing is more humble than forgiving others and and uh, serving others. And and I'll, here's a problem ministers often have they want others to look to them as a minister on an emotional pedestal a minister's comfort is the holy spirit it is not the congregation he he should not depend upon the congregation for his personal support he should he if he is he is not leading them to the kingdom that their personal support should be coming from, uh, their, their personal support of his ministry should be coming from them and going out to bless others. He is not be, sit there and do the hour long lectures you make me do because you don't go back and everything I'm going to tell you this year is what I told people last year. It's the same way with John the Baptist. Everything that I said last year, I'm going to say this year, for the same reason that everything that John the Baptist said, he said in one simple line. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Repent and seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Think differently. Seek the kingdom that operates by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty, and do this through the righteousness of God. This is, this same message has gone out from the beginning of time. This is what, uh, you know, why did, uh, Moses and how did Moses free the people of Egypt? He did not come in and say, rescind your contracts. He did not come in and say, throw off the bands which have connected you with another. Although, in a way, he did say that. He said, pay your tally of bricks. But seek the kingdom of God. Seek the righteousness of God. Seek the benefits of God. Seek to set the table of God by working overtime at night. <laughs> Be diligent. Strive. These are words that Christ said. And I'm just showing you the different ways you can do this. You know, we have this these huge websites with all these articles with thousands of footnotes that will Cut down the hedges that are dividing you from other people. All these false doctrines, false denominational divisions. We don't need ministers who want to create more divisions. We don't need ministers who will not stick at, you know, the, the keep put their hand to the plow, then take their hand off the plow. We don't need ministers who set down their cross. You know, Barnabas, uh, when he was Hoses, he was a Levite who owned property in Cyprus, which was, you know, a fairly successful area. He sold that property for a sizable amount of money. But he wanted to be a minister of God. So he gave all that money away. He laid it down at the foot, foot of the apostles and then went to work serving Christ. By serving others, he was not lazy. He was not self-indulgent. He was seeking the ways of righteousness, the ways of God. This is this is what what Jesus is talking about in these parables, and we need to understand how this all fits together. You know, back in that 2008 fiasco and. People were predicting that that was all going to take place. Millions upon millions upon millions of people. I met many of these people. Not millions of them. I just don't have the time. But the the pattern I saw. I could see it coming. And I, I saw it taking place. And I saw these people losing everything. And the headlines saying, Oh, bailout. Too big to fail. La, 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 la. They weren't too big to fail. If, if you... People out there who say you are Christians were actually Christians, you would have known exactly what the solution was, and you would have demanded that the leaders follow that and they would have been afraid not to follow that solution instead, you had millions and millions of people robbed, and huge bankers make millions and millions and millions even billions of dollars off of the backs of the taxpayers. It was the the biggest rip off that we probably had in thousands of years and there's another one coming and you don't get it because you've still got scales on your eyes. One of the things I talked about is one of the the kids that grew up here said he was still having dreams about being sucked into the siphon and it was a pipeline that goes down the, the dam and comes out in the river below that's directly below us. There's a big lake, a reservoir, and this siphon was the pipe that would take the water out. And he still had dreams about being sucked into the siphon. Yet, emotionally, I see people sucked into the siphon all the time. What happens when you're sucked into the siphon? You go down, you're crushed, you're bounced around, and then you're spit out in the river below. And even if you were alive, you would not be in good shape, and you certainly would not be have access to the lake anymore. You'd be dumped out in the river going down (laughs) out to the desert. But people are sucked in by these. Ridiculous doctrines that actually oppose the ways of Christ. And then they're sucked into the world and the flesh and the devil where they live at the expense of their neighbor. Praying regularly to benefactors who don't, who exercise authority, who don't follow the ways of Christ. And your ministers don't see it. I talked to a minister just last week and showed him, and he just, He just repeats back these little catchphrases he doesn't even understand. He won't go there. He's absolutely afraid to go to the gospel and see the gospel. He cannot see it. Because he hasn't been given eyes to see. And he remains blind. He is actually becoming a prophet of the beast. Because he will not tell the true story of the gospel of the kingdom. What righteousness looks like. What unrighteousness looks like. Because he is preaching the ways of unrighteousness. He is preaching to his followers the ways of wickedness. He's saying that they're okay. The ways of wickedness are okay. The ways of being workers of iniquity. We, we just did the show a couple of weeks ago on Isaiah 58. I was going back through some old emails and somebody who was a radio host uh, on a program that I, I've been guest on had been asking me questions and wanted to know if I saw this IRS form that they had sent. And I said, well, I've seen a lot of them. But if you want to know how to loose the bands which have connected you with another Read Isaiah 58. Now, this was a year or so ago. And then I've just done a program on Isaiah 58 and set up a page on Isaiah 58 and share with you. It says right in there, you have to fast from the fist of wickedness. What is that? That's the fist that comes house to house and forces the contributions of the people. That's the fist of wickedness. You have to fast from that which means fast from the benefits of that. And then it goes on to tell you that you have to become the benefactors who exercise faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. That means you have to come together and be the government of God and His righteousness. So I'm just saying the same thing that John the Baptist said. I'm just laying it out, taking you to all the other places that said exactly the same thing. So you you go back to... Peter, Paul, and James and John. He's test, telling you to test your faith, hold your faith up to the truth of God's gospel. Go back to the Ten Commandments. Now I just now we'll probably do a show about them this afternoon, but the Ten Commandments, uh, PragerU, which has a lot of common sense coming through PragerU, a lot of. Information that are breaking down the boundaries and the barriers that keep us from coming together, and they're they're doing their thing. That's the thing is I'm seeing more and more people, uh, Ben Shapiro and Prager U, and and uh, I was thinking of a couple other radio programs, um, the Corbett Report and others. They're coming up with this idea that we have to create a social network that actually takes care of one another, helps one another. They're actually seeing that as a solution. That that you you have to fast from the fist of wickedness. (laughs) Which is what Isaiah was... That's the way Isaiah put it. But it doesn't mean you can neglect the widows and orphans and needy of your society. You have to help take care of them, the poor, as well. As, As others. You have to come together and do that. So that they're telling you. But anyway... They're starting to see this. Well, and Prager, you did this thing on the Ten Commandments. And he started it with the First first Commandment, which is different if you go by the way the Jews count. it. He, he refers to it as the Ten Statements. And I won't give you the... He doesn't call it the Ten Commandments. He says in Jewish, it's the Ten Statements. Now, there's an actual reason why you would come to that conclusion. And it, it's fascinating to go through that. And we don't have time today to go through all that. But basically... Uh, there are two different words, and I won't go into them exactly, but there are two different words that are translated into commandments in the Bible. One of them might mean a commandment as a law. It might mean that. You could construe it as that. But it's a specific Hebrew word. It's a four-letter Hebrew word, which means it comes from a three-letter Hebrew root word where they add an extra word, uh, extra letter, extra idea. To a three-letter word. What is that extra letter? Guess what it is. Mem. Where else do you see mem added? Alters. Mem. Sacrifice. Mem. You get all these mems coming in being added on. Because mem has to do with flow. So, if the root word has to do with command. Or... You know, this is one way to look at it. If, uh, Joe Schmo tells me I should do something, I can do it or not do it. I don't consider it, well, I have to do it, it's just Joe Schmo told me I should do it. I, I maybe look at it and think about it, ponder it, but I don't have to do what Joe Schmo says. But if God tells me to do something, even if he's just telling me I should do something, that's almost like law to me, you know. Because, it, and if God is writing it in my heart that I should do this, then I'm just going to do it because it's it's easy. It's in my heart. I it's it's you know. And this is I've told stories about this way back before I understood any of the where all the. Commas, I still don't know where all the commas go. But, you know, all the the jots and tittles and how all this fits together. And before I understood what the Bible and learned Hebrew and learned Greek and and how they all fit together in history. Before I learned all that, there were things when I was very young that I was doing just because that seemed right. I didn't know why. I couldn't explain why, but I just knew I had to do things this way. Because it was written on my heart in the beginning. I didn't need to know all these things. You know why I give you all this knowledge? Cut down those hedges that are dividing you. What are those hedges? Those are the ideas you've already accepted that just ain't so. And they're keeping you apart. But what I can't do is make you love the light. I can't make you see the light. I can shine it. And then you may say, well, I'm getting out of here because there's too much light coming in there and I don't like all that light. (laughs) I don't want to see all that truth. I want to know the truth about other people. I want to know the truth about the bad guys. I don't want to know the truth about me and what I'm doing wrong. I don't want to know that. That's too uncomfortable. No, you you need to know the whole truth. And the whole truth will set you free. Half-truths are lies. That's what a lie is. Christ is light. Darkness is equated with evil. What is darkness? Darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. Evil is just the absence of good. And a lie is the absence of the whole truth. These lies don't exist. <laughs> They only exist when you make room for them in your heart. And then that lie, that ab, that that dark heart, that black spot in your heart where you will not see the truth about yourself usually. It's, it's easy to see the truth about others. But seeing the truth about yourself, nah, nobody wants to do that. But that's the truth that will set you free. The truth about Obama or the truth about... Trump or the truth about LBJ or FDR or any of these other guys. The truth about them, that's not going to set you free. It's the truth about you that will set you free. Because that's the whole truth that you don't want to see. But anyway, the Ten Commandments, you only find the phrase Ten Commandments three times in the Bible. <laughs> That's it. Now, commandments is mentioned lots and lots of times, but sometimes it's this one word with the mem on the front. Sometimes it's that word without the mem on the front, and sometimes it's another completely different word that it actually appears all over the Bible, all over the Old Testament, and it means word. That's what it means. It's it's just the word for word. <laughs> and when they say ten commandments that's what they're saying the ten words or the ten statements you know words plural so yeah actually prager's right uh, the ten statements would be another way of saying the ten commandments and that's a legitimate translation in my opinion but then again if god says it is it law in your heart Because it's not you're not going to be able to keep the Ten Commandments until God writes it upon your heart and upon your mind. He wrote it upon the stones in Mount Sinai because the Israelites' hearts were too hard. They didn't want to go up the mountain. They did not want to hear God. It's it's too hard. Because to hear God is he's going to tell you stuff about yourself you don't want to know. You still want to hide in the hedges. You still want to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. You still flee the light of the angel who is there as a beacon to get you back to the garden of paradise. But the light keeps you out because you don't want to see the truth about yourself. You're still hiding. So you have to go back. And a minister has to go back for himself so that he can help bring others back. It is not an easy road to pick up the cross of a minister, it is a challenge. And it it, it it requires a great deal of testing. And Christ was constantly raising the the level of what these men had to see, mostly about themselves. Towards the end, there, where they were still bickering amongst themselves and all this stuff before the the baptism of fire at Pentecost, most of the problems they were having was personal problems of pride, selfishness and arrogance, and vanity. All really just the same way of saying the same thing. <laughs> so anyway, the ten statements. Why is the Jewish ten statements different than the Christian ten statements? And why is the Protestants different than the Catholics? And what are the actual ten statements? I mean, there are ten thou shalt nots, but we don't usually divide them up based on the ten thou shalt nots. Uh, or thou shalt, and thou shalt not. But uh, anyway, so we have a whole study on that, and uh, but I just created a page this week on commandments so that you can go through and and uh, and look at why these two different words. What what's the difference between those two different words? Because you know, if if the original authors of the Bible are using different words to describe something, and we translate it into the same. English word in both places, that puts you at a disadvantage when you go to study the Bible. And you don't know that they they have translated four or five different words the same way, or the same word four or five different ways, or 15 different ways. I mean, there are words there they'll translate 15 different ways. Well, they only had one word there originally. Now, sometimes it Some of these alterations may help you understand, but sometimes they may lead you away. That coupled with all these ministers you're paying to tickle your ears has led you way away from the kingdom of God. And so now how do you get back? How do you find your way back? Well, you have to walk it. And this is what they, you know, that Peter, Paul, James, and John are saying. You have to walk it. And so until you start walking it, why don't you walk it with us and see where it leads you. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless.